إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد So now then we're on the statement of the author. Qawlul-Mu'allifi-Rahimahullah ثم عثمان ذو النورين ثم علي المرتضى رضي الله عنهم أجمعين لما روى عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال كنا نقول والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حي أبو بكر ثم عمر ثم عثمان ثم علي فيبلغ ذلك النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم this section now, the author is going to talk about the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. He says the best ummah from all of the nations, from all of the different nations, the best ummah is this ummah. And that is something Allah mentioned in the Qur'an. كُنْتُمْ خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ أُخْرِجَتْ لِلنَّاسِ That you are the best of the nations. كُنْتُمْ خَيْرَ أُمَّةٍ أُخْرِجَتْ لِلنَّاسِ تَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَتَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ You are the best of those raised up from the people. You enjoin the good and you forbid the evil. So this ummah is the best of all of the nations. So then he goes on to say that the companions, they are the best of the companions of all of the prophets. All of the prophets had companions. But the companions of the prophet wasallam, are the best of the companions. The prophets who did have companions, the companions of the prophet wasallam are better than all of those companions of the other prophets. Firstly then we need to understand who is a companion. What is the definition of a companion? So who can tell us the definition of a companion? Dies upon what? Anybody else? A companion. Who is a companion? A companion, the definition is somebody who met 
the Prophet ﷺ believing in him and died upon Iman. Even if he apostated in between. Somebody who met the Prophet ﷺ believing in him and died upon Iman. Even if he apostated in between. Why do we say it's somebody who met the Prophet ﷺ and we don't say somebody who saw the Prophet ﷺ because there were certain companions who were blind so they never saw the Prophet ﷺ but they met him like Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum the Mu'addin of the Prophet ﷺ he was blind, so he never saw the Prophet ﷺ, but he met him, believed in him, died upon Islam, so he is a companion. So we say somebody who met the Prophet ﷺ, not somebody who saw. Somebody who met the Prophet ﷺ. And we don't say somebody who met Muhammad ﷺ. Why? What difference does that make? Saying somebody who met the Prophet ﷺ and believed in him and died upon Islam. And we don't say somebody who met Muhammad ﷺ believed in him and died upon Islam. What's the difference? So the condition is to have met the Prophet ﷺ after the prophethood. There may have been some who met him before he became a prophet. So what we want to say here is, the ones who met him once he was actually a prophet. That's why you don't just say Muhammad, you say Prophet ﷺ. So somebody who met the Prophet ﷺ, believing in him, so the person must have been a Muslim. If a kafir met the Prophet ﷺ, then is he considered a companion? No. Kuffar who met the Prophet ﷺ, the Quraysh, all of them, they are not considered as companions because they didn't believe in him. They didn't accept his messengership. So the second condition is, you must believe in him, you must be upon Islam. And the third condition, that you must die upon Islam. Meaning if somebody met the Prophet ﷺ, believed in him at the time, but then later apostated and died upon kufr, he would not be considered a companion. But if somebody met the Prophet ﷺ, believed in him, then apostated. But then came back to Islam, repented and came back to Islam and died as a Muslim. He will be considered as a companion still, according to the most authentic opinion mentioned by the scholars. So you must have met the Prophet ﷺ, you must have believed in him at the time, and you must have died upon Islam. They are the conditions for somebody to be considered a companion. The jinn in that case can also be considered as companions. The Muslim jinn who were alive at that time. But what if a jinni comes along now 
1400 years later and says he is a companion. He tells you that he was alive at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Jinn can live a long time, maybe. He says he was alive at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. He's been a Muslim since then. He met the Prophet ﷺ. Believed in him then. He's a Muslim now still. He's been alive all that time, so he is a companion. If he claims that, what are you going to say? Didn't the last companion die? Correct, so that is it. That there is a narration from the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned that whomsoever is alive on the face of the earth now, Nobody from them will remain in a hundred years. And that was in the tenth year of Hijrah when he said that. A hundred years from that time, which makes it 110 Hijri, the last companion died. So no jinni can claim after that he is still a companion. The last companion died in the year 110 Hijri. And his name was? Abu Tufail Abu Tufail The name of the final companion who died in the year 110 Hijri Abu Tufail In the biography of Abu Tufail He says he remembers seeing the Prophet ﷺ When he was a young boy Meaning Abu Tufail himself when he was a young boy he remembers seeing the Prophet ﷺ. And he was a believer. And he died upon Islam in the year 110 Hijri. So he was the last of the companions to die. They are the companions. They are the ones whom the Prophet ﷺ mentioned and said, خَيْرُ النَّاسِ الْقَرْنُ فِيهِمْ the best of the people are the generation that I have been sent in. Who were that generation? The companions. Then here the author goes on to say that the best of the ummah, from all of this ummah, the best ones, the best people in order, the first of them of course is the Prophet Muhammad wasallam. But after that from the ummah, the first one is, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu is the best of all of this ummah after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Then after him who is the second best from all of this ummah after the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ and then Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu. Umar ibn al-Khattab. He was the second Khalifa. He is the second best. Then after him, Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu, the third Khalifa. He was the third best. And then after them, Ali ibn Abi Talib. That is the order. Radiyallahu anhu. That is the order that is agreed upon. 
agreed upon that Abu Bakr certainly is the best of this ummah after the Prophet Muhammad Agreed upon Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu is next. Agreed upon Uthman radiallahu anhu is next. And agreed upon Ali radiallahu anhu is next. In the early times, the scholars had a difference of opinion between Ali and Uthman radiallahu anhuma. Which of the two is more virtuous? They never had a disagreement over the order of the Khilafah. Absolute agreement that Abu Bakr was deserving to be the first Khalifa and he was. Absolute agreement that Umar ibn al-Khattab was deserving to be the second Khalifa and he was. Absolute agreement that Uthman radiallahu anhu deserved to be the third Khalifa and he was. An agreement absolutely that Ali radiallahu anhu deserved to be the fourth and he was. That order of the Khilafah is absolutely agreed upon. No scholars ever differed over that. No scholars ever said that Ali should have been the third Khalifa instead of Uthman. Nobody said that. They all said Uthman is the one to be the third Khalifa. The only thing they had the difference about was who is more virtuous. Even though they agreed, Uthman is the third Khalifa and should be the third Khalifa. The difference was, is he more virtuous than Ali though? Maybe Ali has in terms of virtues more than Uthman. That is the issue they were looking into. And initially in those early days, some of the scholars came to the opinion that maybe all of the narrations, when you add them up, maybe Ali radiallahu anhu has more virtues some of them said, no, Uthman has more virtues. And all of them agreed though, even if they said Ali has more virtues, they agreed that Uthman is and should be the third Khalifa. Nobody uh, argued about that. In the end, after all of their conclusions, there was actually an agreement. They all came to an agreement in the end. And their agreement was, who is more virtuous? Uthman. Their agreement in the end was, Uthman is actually more virtuous anyway. He's already determined as the third Khalifa, and that is agreed upon, no doubt in that, nobody's arguing that. Then there was just the issue of who's more virtuous, and they agreed in the end that he is actually more virtuous anyway as well. So that was all agreed upon in the end. No person of innovation can come to you now and say, or try to deceive you and say that there was a difference of opinion who should be the third Khalifa. That is a lie. There was never a difference of opinion upon that. The difference was just about who has more virtue. They were all agreed Uthman is deserving of the Khilafah in number three. So that is something they mention about the Sahaba. In the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma qal, kunna naqulu wa nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hay, Abu Bakr, he said that we used to say in the days when the Prophet wasallam was alive that the best are Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali radiallahu anhum. And the Prophet wasallam used to hear about this statement of ours. The Prophet wasallam used to hear about this statement of ours. <coughs> This position of ours, 
us saying that Abu Bakr is the best, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. He used to hear about this, that we say this, and he never rejected upon us. Never rebuked us or told us we're wrong for saying that. So they used to say that at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali, and the Prophet ﷺ never forbade them or rejected this statement of theirs. Here, Sheikh Zaid, he mentions, in this part now, firstly, as we said, the author has highlighted the virtue of this ummah. The ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is superior to the other nations that have passed by. This nation is superior to the other nations that have gone by. Allah said, as we mentioned, "Kuntum khayra ummatin nas." You are the best of the people, the best of the nations that have been raised up. The second point here to make is that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they are better than the companions of the other prophets and messengers that went by. Prophets and messengers that went by had companions too. But the Prophet ﷺ, his companions are superior to the companions the prophets and messengers used to have beforehand. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, عَلَيْكُمْ بِسُنَّةِ وَسُنَّةِ الْخُلَفَاءِ الرَّاشِدِينَ Upon you is to stick to my sunnah and the sunnah of Al-Khulafa Al-Rashidin. Those righteous companions, the caliphs that are left after him. The most deserving of the Khilafah, the most deserving of the Khilafah was Abu Bakr Siddiq first. His name was Abdullah ibn Uthman. The name of Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr is a kunya. His actual name was Abdullah. Abdullah, the son of Uthman. That was his actual name, radiallahu anhu. So he was the most virtuous of all of them. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, radiallahu anhu, Abdullah ibn Uthman, ibn Qahafa, he was the most, ibn Abi Qahafa, he was the most virtuous of all of them and the first of them into entering Islam. And he was the companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he made the hijrah with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he was the one who faced the greatest trials. From all of them, he, Abu Bakr, faced the greatest trials along with the Prophet ﷺ. So his virtues are many. From amongst his virtues, from amongst the virtues of Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet ﷺ gave him the priority to lead the prayer in his absence. The Prophet ﷺ gave Abu Bakr the priority to lead the prayer over everybody else. He was the next chosen one to lead the prayer. That shows you what a great virtue for Abu Bakr this is, that he was chosen over everybody else to lead the prayer in the absence of the Prophet ﷺ. Also in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, لَوْ كُنْتُ مُتَّخِذًا خَلِيلًا لَاتَّخَذْتُ أَبَا بَكْرٍ وَلَكِنْ أَخِي وَصَحِبِي if I was to take a beloved, somebody who is beloved to me, somebody who is my Khalil, a most beloved to me, then I would have taken Abu Bakr for that role. Abu Bakr would have been my most beloved to me. But he is my companion uh, and he is my brother. So again, this shows a great virtue that the most beloved to the Prophet ﷺ was Abu Bakr. Then after that, 
is Umar, Abu Hafs, Umar, Ibn al-Khattab, al-Faruq. Faruq, one of the reasons they call him that, because that means the criteria, the distinction. He was the criteria between truth and falsehood. And he was known for his strength and power and ability. And they were scared of him, the people. There is even mentioned narrations about him. The jinn used to go different ways when they saw him coming. They used to be scared of Umar ibn al-Khattab. He was a strong, powerful individual. He was somebody of strength, somebody of that great virtue. So he was known for those established and firm positions. And he was known for his strength. Strength in iman and strength in ability. And people were afraid of him. So he has very many great virtues also. Then after that, Abu Abdullah Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu dhunnurain. The carrier of the two lights. Why is Uthman radiyallahu anhu known as the carrier of the two lights? What are the two lights? Yeah, so he was married to two of the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ. He married one when she died, then he married another one of the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ. So he is the one who was in possession of the two lights. The one who was in possession of the two lights married one of the daughters and then married another one after her when she died. In the narration, the Prophet ﷺ said about Uthman, أَلَا أَسْتَحِي مِنْ رَجُلٍ تَسْتَحِي مِنْهُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ Should I not have humility in front of a man that the angels have humility before him? Should I not have humility in front of this man that even the angels have humility before him? So this was the great station and position of Uthman radiallahu anhu. And then the fourth one like we said, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu, and he was the son of the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. So he was therefore the first, the first cousin of the Prophet ﷺ. He was the son of, Ali was the son of, Abu Talib. Abu Talib was the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. So therefore, Ali was the first cousin of the Prophet ﷺ. And he was the fourth of the Khulafa. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, أَلَا تَرْضَى أَن تَكُونَ مِنِّي بِمَنْزِلَةِ هَارُونَ مِنْ مُوسَى إِلَّا أَنَّهُ لَا نَبِيَّ بَعْدِي That, are you satisfied, are you not satisfied that you should be compared to me? Your station and your rank should be like that of Harun to Musa. Harun, his station and his rank compared to Musa as his uh, aid. Then you are like that to me, except that there is no other prophet who will come after me. So these are the four Al-Khulafa Al-Rashidin. And they have great virtues. And there are very many other virtues regarding them too. But these are some of them. And the Prophet ﷺ said in a hadith, Al-Khilafatu ba'di thalathuna sana. That the Khilafah will last for 
30 years. So did the Khilafah last for 30 years or not? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu was the Khalifa for how many years? How long was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq the Khalifa for? How long was Umar the Khalifa for? How many years was Uthman the Khalifa for? Ali. So that is the homework for this week. The homework for this week, you have to find out how long was each of them the Khalifa for? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu became the Khalifa. How many years was he the Khalifa before he died? Umar ibn Khattab became the Khalifa after him. How many years did he carry on as the Khalifa until he died? Uthman became the Khalifa next. How many years until he died? Ali became the Khalifa after that. How many years was he the Khalifa for? All four of them, how many years each were they the Khalifa for? That's your homework for this week. Let's see, you can find out by next week. How many years were each of them? 29 and a half years. That's okay, that's 30. That's no problem, 29, is, 29 and a half is 30 years. But how many years each? It was 30. It was 30. All four of them added up. They were upon the Khilafah for 30 years. But each one of them, how many years did they do? It wasn't even, it wasn't equally split. There were some who had more years, some who had less years. But the four of them, when you add up all of their years, it comes to 30 years. But how many years each? That's going to be the homework. Everybody find out how many years was each one of them the Khalifa for. Then after that, قول المؤلف رحمه الله ونشهد للعشرة بالجنة كما شهد لهم النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال أبو بكر في الجنة وعمر في الجنة وعثمان في الجنة وعلي في الجنة وطلحة في الجنة والزبير في الجنة وسعد في الجنة وسعيد في الجنة وعبد الرحمن بن عوف في الجنة وأبو عبيدة بن الجراح now the author says there are certain companions who the Prophet ﷺ told us are definitely in paradise. Named them and said they are in paradise. So you have the famous ten. Al-Ashra al-Jannah, the ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise. Who are those ten companions who were given the glad tidings of paradise? Four are obviously Al-Khulafa' al-Rashidun, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiyallahu anhum. Who are the other six that were given glad tidings that you are from the people of paradise? Just now these are the names you mentioned. So the first one is Talha. Talha is who? Who is Talha? Anyone? 
I'm going to end up with too much homework now. <laughs> so, your second piece of homework. Two homeworks for next week. Never give you homework. So now twice this time. Second homework for this week is, who are the ten companions known as the ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise? Four is the Khulafa Rashidin. Who are the other six? Who are they? What are their full names? Who are the other six, their full names? Then on top of those ten, there were other companions too. There are those ten that are famously mentioned as the ten who were given the glad tidings of paradise. There are other companions too who were given the glad tidings of paradise on top of those ten. There are some others. The Shaykh gives examples here. He, men- he mentions Thabit ibn Qais. He was one of the ones given the glad tidings of paradise. Akasha ibn Muhsin. Uh, he was given the glad tidings. Bilal, the Mu'addin of the Prophet ﷺ, was given the glad tidings. And there were some others. They were given the glad tidings of paradise. So it's not just those ten, but those ten are the famous ten. So who were the famous ten? The other six of them. All of their names. Two pieces of homework. Bring those for next week. So basically what the author is trying to tell us here is, the ones who the Prophet ﷺ told us by name that they are in paradise then we believe 100% they are in paradise. The ones who the Prophet told us, or it is mentioned in the Qur'an, are in hellfire definitely, those kuffar, then we believe they are in hellfire definitely. Like, تَبَّتْ يَدَىٰ أَبِي لَهَبٍ Abu Lahab testified that he is upon the hellfire, he's in hellfire. So we believe absolutely hellfire. So the ones who are mentioned by name for paradise... We believe in that. The ones, kuffar, who are mentioned for hellfire by name, believe in that. Anyone else outside of that, can we say that they are definitely people of paradise or hell? Generally, of course, generally, kuffar are all people of hellfire. Generally, the believers are all people of paradise. But a specific believer, you can't say that such and such scholar, he's definitely going to be in paradise. Or this brother, that brother, definitely from the people of paradise. He was so good and he was this and he was pious, etc. You can't testify somebody's in paradise. And you can't testify somebody's in hellfire. You can't say that person, he was an evil Muslim, never used to do this, never used to do that, he never did this, never, he must be in hell. You can't make these testifications for people. You don't know what their end result will be, what their end actions were, so only the ones that the Prophet told us by name are in paradise, we can say for definite they are in paradise. The rest of the companions, of course, generally, of course, were in paradise. But by name, we only specify the ones the Prophet ﷺ specified. We only specify the ones that the Prophet ﷺ specified. And we only specify for the hellfire, the ones that the Prophet ﷺ specified. Generally again, of course, the kuffar, the munafiqun, obviously we know generally hellfire. But by name, then we only give names for the ones that have been mentioned in the texts, in the Qur'an, and the sunnah. And that is what he's mentioning here. أَنَّ أَهْلَ السُّنَّةِ وَالْجَمَاعَةِ سَلَفًا وَخَلَفًا لَا يَجْزِمُونَ لِشَخْصٍ مُعِيًّا بِأَنَّهُ فِي الْجَنَّةِ أو لِشَخْصٍ مُعِيًّ بِأَنَّهُ فِي النَّارِ Ahlul Sunnah, from olden times to now, from the Salaf to now, we do not declare a specific individual you are from the people of paradise, or a specific individual you are from the people of hellfire. We don't do that. 
فلا يعين أهل السنة إلا ما عين الله أو رسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم. So we don't specify anybody except if Allah or the Messenger specified them. ومن ذلك ما سبق ذكره من المشهود لهم بالجنة كما أنهم يشهدون على سبيل العموم لمن مات على الإسلام بظاهر إسلامه بأنه من أهل الجنة. So generally speaking, a person dies upon Islam, dies as a Muslim. Generally, we say yes, inshallah, person of paradise. Generally. But specifically that he is testifying from the, from the people of paradise, we can't do that kind of thing. You can't testify upon a person, he is from paradise, he is from hell. What do we believe about Muslims who died upon major sins? We know they died upon major sins. They used to drink alcohol, they used to do this, they used to do that, and they died upon that way. What do we say about them? They are under the will of Allah. تحت المشيئة They are under the will of Allah. They are تحت المشيئة That if Allah wishes, He'll punish them. But if Allah wishes, He may forgive them. And there are some scholars who mention that certain types and certain levels of their sins, they will definitely be punished uh, because the levels of the sins are different levels. The highest of the sins, of course, is major shirk. Then after that it is... Huh? Killing? Killing? Yeah. Oh. Minor shirk, you can just say. Major shirk is at the top, then minor shirk, then the major sins. So there are different levels. Killing, for example, is one of the major sins. So there are different levels of the sins. Uh, and the point being, they are under the mashi'ah of Allah. If Allah wishes, He may still forgive them. They are still Muslims. A major sin doesn't make you a kafir. That is what the, the takfiris say. The takfiris, they say these major sins, they make you kuffar. But a major sin, a person is still a Muslim. But you're a sinner. Your iman is down. But a person may be forgiven on that day and still entered into paradise. Or you may be punished first and then afterwards entered into paradise. And that's what he goes on to talk about next. لا نكفر أحدا من أهل القبلة بذنب ولا نخرجه عن الإسلام بعمل We do not declare anybody a kafir due to a sin that he commits. And we do not exit anybody out of <coughs> Islam due to some action that he performs. Bayanun lima atakad ahli sunnah wa manhajihim fil hukum ala al-usat min al-muslimin. Annahum la yikaffirunahum bifi'il al-kabair al-latihi yadun al-kufri al-akbar. We do not declare people to be kuffar if they commit major sins. That is not the methodology of ahli sunnah. Somebody drinks alcohol, somebody fornicates, of course they are major sins, but you cannot declare that person to be a kafir for doing it. Do not declare them for being kafir for their sins. So we do not declare anybody to be a kafir due to them committing major sins, which are less than shirk. Of course, shirk is something different. But less than shirk are the major sins, which is less than shirk, then we do not declare a person to be a kafir due to committing those sins. And of course, a person who commits those sins but then repents, sincerely repents, then that repentance can be accepted. فَهُمْ فِي دَائِرَةِ الْإِسْلَامِ So those people are still within the fold of Islam. 
وتحت مشيئة الرحمن and they are under the will of Allah وخالف في هذا المعتقد الخوارج المعتزلة the خوارج and the معتزلة from the groups of innovation opposed this correct belief of Ahl Sunnah so the khawarij they began to say that a person who commits a major sin is out of the fold of Islam out of the fold of Islam he is a kafir as for the mu'tazila what did they say about the one who commits a major sin they said he's not a Muslim and he's not a kafir so what is he manzila bayna manzilatayn they said he is um, now what do you call it in uh, limbo? limbo huh? He's in limbo, they say. He is in limbo. He's neither Muslim, he's neither Kafir. He is in a place between two places. In a place between two places. That is the Mu'tazila. لَيْسَ بِمُؤْمِنْ وَلَا كَافِرٍ فِي مَنْزِلَ بَيْنَ الْمَنْزِلَتَيْنِ So they say he's between two places, neither a Muslim, neither a Kafir. Again, you can see that's nonsense. So both of these statements are in opposition to the consensus of the Salaf. The Salaf, their consensus is, a Muslim who commits major sins, then he has certainly committed something severe, he is a sinner, his iman decreases, but we do not declare him to be out of the fold of Islam for committing a sin. He drinks alcohol, we can't say he's kafir now. He steals, we can't say he's kafir now. Even killing somebody doesn't dictate upon you kufr. So major sins like this, we do not declare a person to be out of the fold of Islam. We say he is under the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah wills, he will punish him. Maybe he punished in the hellfire first, and in the end he was still a person of iman, still within the fold of Islam. He'll enter paradise in the end. Or maybe Allah forgives a person altogether, and that person is entered into paradise from the beginning. What is the difference between major shirk and minor shirk? What is the difference between major shirk and minor shirk? So major shirk, it takes you out of the fold of Islam. Somebody who commits the major shirk, it takes you out of the fold of Islam. Whereas the minor shirk, it is the greatest of the major sins, the minor shirk, but it doesn't take you out of the fold of Islam. Examples of minor shirk like what? Showing off. Showing off is considered a form of minor shirk. But showing off doesn't make you a kafir. It's a form of minor shirk. So there's a difference between major shirk and minor shirk. Major shirk exits you from Islam. Minor shirk, as severe as it is, doesn't necessitate the person is out of the fold of Islam. It is severe, but a person is still within the fold of Islam and can still be entered into paradise after being punished first. So that is what we'll round off for today then. Uh, could be that maybe next lesson we finish this book altogether. The last sections... We may uh, be able to finish those in the next session. And so this book will be rounded off in the next lesson, inshaAllah ta'ala.
And then after that, we'll select something different, a new book. And inshallah, we'll go through that. So next lesson is the final lesson on this book. And then after that, everybody can decide or think about what is suitable to be done after this. Have we ever done fiqh here? It's got to be fiqh next then, I think. Huh? Maybe we could do something in fiqh. We've done uh, quite a few of these books now in Aqidah. This one particularly all about the Aqidah. We've done Kitab al-Tawheed. We've done a few books like that. So maybe the next book possibly will decide could be a book in fiqh. Do some book about fiqh. Could be maybe we do the Prophet's prayer described or something. The Prophet's prayer described could be done. Explains all about the salah, the fiqh of the prayer. So some book like that, inshallah. Next week we'll finish this anyway, and then we'll decide. So we'll conclude upon that for now.